You're listening to Booth One. Hello again, Booth One fans. Frank, it's hard to believe, but this is episode 99. Wow, like the Luft balloons. One shy of a century mark, at least in number, if not in years. <laughs> You've been with us now as the co host for how many episodes now? About 25, 20, 25? A year and a half or two years. Yeah. I'm pleased today to introduce our guest. I'm going to get right to it because I know she has a lot to talk about, and I've got a lot to ask her about. She's our first costume designer, Yay, Frank. Yay, I know. Uh, <laughs> congratulations. I'm going to introduce Christine Pasquale. Uh, I'll spell that P-A-S-C-U-A-L. Uh, am I right about yes, that? Yes, that's right. It's a costume designer based in Chicago since 1994. Mm-hmm. She was born in New York City and grew up on Long Island in Dix Hills. I was just there. <laughs> you were? Yeah. How's the weather in Dix Hills? About the same as here. Yeah, it was yeah. hot last yeah, week. Yeah. Where in New York is that for people that don't know? Um, Suffolk County. That- exit 51 for people. Long who- Island. <laughs> oh, Long Island. Okay. L- okay. LIE's Exit 51. Uh-huh. Exit 51. <laughs> that's how we know, tell each other where we live. She. That's how they do it in Jersey, oh, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, what exit? <laughs> uh, she's the oldest of seven children whose wow. parents immigrated to the U.S. from the Philippines. She graduated from SUNY at Stony Brook with a Bachelor of Arts degree and earned a Master of Fine Arts in Costume Design from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Oh, Congratulations. Right. Is that your alma mater, Frank? My, mas- I my didn't master's is, that. is from oh, really? there in theater, so it's close to the costume department. I want to give the listeners a little bit idea of your credits. Christine began her career in costume design with daring, innovative storefront theaters. It was Defiant Theater. Defiant and Onyx Theater, yes. right? That was early on. Yes. Since then, she's been working with storefront, midsize, and large theaters. Recent productions in Chicago include, and I'm just absolutely amazed, Frank, how many of these we've seen. Yeah. The Total Bent at Haven About Face, that was at the Den Theater. La Ruta at Steppenwolf. Fade at Victory Gardens Theater, East Texas Hot Links at Writers Theater, which we saw, The Light Fantastic at Jackalope, To Catch a Fish... We where saw you that. sat in the front row. I did. It was great. Oh. It was great. <laughs> and, 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 I was in it. <laughs> and, and, and the young woman next to me started texting in the middle of the first oh act. Do you remember yeah. that? When I had to like yeah. reach over and say, could you please stop doing that? <laughs> I've Hopefully. done that. And I she said, stared at me as if I had uh, you know, insulted her family or something. Yeah, I had a person texting me. I was watching War Horse in New York, and there was a young girl sitting in front of me, and it was a, a, a theater that was very high risers and so so I could to- she was trying to hide it, but I could totally see her text. And I thought, rather than saying something, I kicked the back of her seat really hard. And she turned around shocked, and I shook my finger at her. And she sat there paralyzed the rest of the show. So oh. it worked. Well, you're a little frightening. Yeah, I, well, I, I can be when I'm angry. <laughs> yeah, Christine, you also did Wit at Hypocrites, which again, we saw. And Schrader at A Red Orchid, directed by the great Michael Shannon. Mm-hmm. Cool. Christine is drawn to passionate... And new theatrical works that deal with real-life human experiences and the human condition, an advocate for a theater community that tells the stories of all Americans. Uh, I I will mention that in 2010, she was a nominee for a Hughes Design Award for notable effects and costumes for the elaborate entrance of Chad Deity at Victory Gardens. I didn't see that show, but that's a great title. Yeah, that went to second, second stage. 
in New, New York. York. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Fantastic. I felt that was a, a, probably a little ahead of its time because now I feel like when I think about that show, a lot of that kind of sentiment about who's a patriot, who's a traitor oh, is, yeah. is happening now. Yeah. There seems yeah. to be a fine line between those two these yeah. days. Unfortunately, yeah. I, 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 I don't quite don't understand. Don't get me started. Well, as I mentioned right off the top, you're our first costume designer on the program. Tell us a little bit, and the listeners, how you got interested in costume design for the theater and why you decided to pursue a career in this industry. Well, in Stony Brook, I was still kind of lost looking for a major. Uh, so I took a, I took a theater class, and it went through all the areas of what happens in a play, who does what. They talked about costume design. I thought that was very interesting. Mm. I just assumed people just picked out what they wanted to just wear. Just went shopping and grabbed something. Yeah, or the director bought all the clothes. You know, yeah, just, a lot of people think that. Yeah, because I, I like theater, but I didn't want to be on stage. So this is where I could be on stage without actually. Had you had being an interest in like clothing design or anything like that, or was this? I all was completely interested new? in art and design okay. in general. Okay. Yeah, and I knew it wasn't fashion design, which I wasn't interested. Mm-hmm. In. I was mm-hmm. more interested in helping tell the story. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Did you sew growing up? Did your mother make actually, clothes? No. Or your, so this is your, all your siblings. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, we had home ec when we used to have home ec. Sure. Well, I took home ec. We were not allowed to take home ec when I was in high school. The girls took home ec. The boys took shop. Oh. I took neither. <laughs> I didn't want to be in shop, and I couldn't take home ec. So. Now they have, like, bachelor basics or something. So. I, I didn't really take or, home ec. I what was do they joking. call them now? Adulting oh. classes. Adult, yeah. Adulting which, classes. Which one needs? Don't you know, they teach you, you how to, like, balance a checkbook and stuff yeah. like that? I think that they do that, as well classes. as how to sew or mend or at least sew on buttons or something. What prompted you to move to Chicago, Christine? I went to the URTAs. URTAs, uh, yeah. yeah. And um, there were some interviews and... It was between Ohio University and University of Illinois. So mm-hmm. I chose. Really? I cho- yeah, yeah. Those were the choices that Those you liked? Those were the choices that, that I would get a grad assistantship and tuition paid. and They had the yeah. best deals yeah. out of everybody. And so that brought you to the Midwest. I mystically thought it was close to Chicago. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> and then when I went there, I was like, wait a minute. It's a drive. It's a cornfield. It's, it's it out is. there in it the is. middle of nowhere. Yeah. yeah. I, I went to Illinois Wesleyan University mm-hmm. in uh, Bloomington Normal, and that's also in the middle of nowhere. Central Illinois, I wouldn't call it nowhere. I mean, if you've All been right. down there lately, it's built up, All particularly right. Bloomington I, Normal. I, but I apologize yeah, to Illinois yeah. and but it's all Illinois. But it's not Chicago. It's not Chicago. Yeah. It is yeah. not Chicago. Curious. First, how did you Sorry. get from there to Chicago? Well, it was the... I-55. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> Literally. We had one costume designer from New York, Mary Peterson. Who worked at in Champaign? Yeah, she okay. was a graduate of uh, Champaign. I, we had graduates, alumni come and talk to us. And the question everyone's asking, New York or Chicago? And she said, from my experience i would go to chicago because when you go to new york you're not going to get to design right away if you want to design right away go to chicago uh-huh so that that, that made, sort of yeah. clinched it for you yeah, right? yeah. clinched it yeah. and then there was a theater group starting defiant i was friends with the people and who were in defiant uh jim selena mm. joe faust nick offerman mm. mm-hmm. so they started doing shows at the station which is a, a small theater 
in uh, Urbana. That's uh-huh. not connected with the university, oh. but we did a lot of shows there. I did a show there. I oh, did, yeah? I okay. did Marat Saad there oh, okay. in 19... Wow. <laughs> wow. I did. So we would do shows there and get in trouble. They said, you have to do your schoolwork first before you have to do sh- get to do shows. <laughs> oh, I um, see. <laughs> they thought we couldn't do both. But after that, people started moving to Chicago, and then we all kept in touch with each other and um, started doing shows here. And it's been how many years then since uh, you came up here? Well, Quite a few, I mean, 94. Okay, so yeah. we've re- not 94 years, but 1994. No. <laughs> 94 years? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I forgot to tell you, this is the oldest living yeah. costumer. So you moved to Chicago mm-hmm. uh, on the advice of this uh, mentor uh, mm-hmm. of yours. What challenges do you face and did you face as a designer working in the small but very dynamic storefront theaters in Chicago? And you've worked for some larger theaters as well. Mm-hmm. Is it easier, or this is the second part of the question, mm-hmm. is it easier or harder to work for one of the larger theaters here and elsewhere? What are the differences and the challenges there? Well, in the beginning, that all no one knew who I was, so I worked in the smaller theaters. And since the fees were not enough to pay the bills, I would uh, do a day job. Sure. Which is like a lot of people in theater. And, but, and then as people got to know me, I started working in bigger theaters. The bigger theaters are easier on the designer because of the workload is less. If you're doing a storefront theater that... They usually don't provide enough support for the costume designer. I notice they do that for other areas, which we, uh, we're see. trying to change that. So you got to do everything yourself. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. They see they like well, you can sew and shop and dye, and but then when a set designer hands in their plans, models, they don't have to lift a finger. Right. They, they send it off to the shop <laughs> so, to get built. Yeah. And it, then yeah. it arrives and they put it yeah, all together. Yeah, because I would talk to the set designers they're like, oh, I don't, like, like about some specific thing. They're like, oh, I don't know about numbers. I'm like, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> that you don't have to know. I mean, they know. Yeah. They're told, okay, you have to cut this to meet the budget. But other than that, they don't have to source everything sure it depends on the theater sure but it's also probably good training for you at the beginning to have to have done everything so that you know exactly what all has to be done and how difficult yeah, it is that, so that when good, you don't yeah. have to do it you still can keep an eye on it and you know what you want that's true yeah so yeah. but i still see it continuing in the storefront still yeah and it's well. just frustrating because uh i talk to younger designers and i go well why are you up till three in the morning? And everyone, you know what I mean? Like they just, I just feel the workload is more for a costume designer. And I think it's because they always say it's magic. I hate that word. It's magic. Yeah. <laughs> they call it, it magic. Yeah. Yes. Like theater magic is not really a real thing. It's, it's not called a real thing. Yeah. Talent and labor. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's what it's makes it. It may be magical to us yeah, as the we're audience. We're not leprechauns running around. Like you're this. not. No. Really? I, you know, <laughs> you I always thought they were. <laughs> yeah. You haven't had to resort to leprechauns no, yet. Or, not yet. Or witchcraft. Or, or witchcraft. <laughs> Christine, do you think costume design, because of what you just talked about, you get probably less manpower support than scenic designers or even lighting designers. There's always a crew that helps them or at least uh, yeah, it, uh, it kind but, of um, realizes yeah. their vision. Do you think costume design is frequently overlooked or, or undervalued as an artistic 
component of theater production? I think so, because it's perceived as, like, everyone wears clothes, so everyone thinks they know about clothes. Mm. And also it's perceived as uh, women's work. Mm. If we were called, like, fabric engineers, maybe people treat us differently. (laughs) Well, you do designer, you know, next to your name, so it doesn't just say clothes by... Well, sometimes people say costumer or wardrobe, and I go, no, those two different... Those are different things. Those are, are. yeah. 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 Absolutely. Well, I know as a director, I always loved my costumers, whatever they called themselves, because I was so dependent on them to really make it. I mean, because three quarters of your stage is filled up with people and they're all wearing something. Yeah. And if it isn't done right, you know, I don't care how beautiful the set is. In fact, you had seen some show, I won't mention which one, but they were saying, yeah, it was a really good show. The actors were really good. The costumes, what on earth were they thinking? I mean, it can really throw off a production yeah. if they're not right. And they don't reflect the character and they don't reflect what the story's about. So I always worship mine. So... What is the difference, Christine, between those those terms, costumer, costume designer, wardrobe? wardrobe yeah, all those. Yes, uh, wardrobe, they help with uh, dressing the actors, and they take care of the costumes and maintenance, laundering, ironing. So during the run of the yeah. show, they're on they the running crew. They kind of take over the run after Keeping the, it all looking yeah. good. Yeah. And then costumer is usually people who make or stitch clothes, alter it. Sometimes in storefront, the costumer is also the costume designer. Sure. And then costume designer is someone who designs the clothes, the look of the clothes, the feel of the uh, costume design. It's mm-hmm. a design. The period, yeah. the, uh, whatever yeah. is needed. Um, and some, like you said, sometimes all three are the same person yes. in storefronts, but a really good production will have three separate right, ones right, doing it. Right. Yeah. Sometimes when people have uh, period costumes or rental costumes and they, don't, and they say they don't have wardrobe, that makes me very nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I had one time, I'll mention the company, they didn't have wardrobe, so they were, the actors were taking care of their clothes. So, and this one person was ironing their dress, and it was polyester because, you know, it was low budget and everything. And they had the iron too high and they burnt it. Mm-hmm. I see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's why you need to have trained wardrobe people. Sure. And they are trained. They're not just someone doing laundry for you. They actually are professionals. You know, in the old days of vaudeville, the actors were required to, well, not even, even vaudeville, but like in the early turn of the century, actors were required to provide their own costumes. Yeah, you had to provide your own wardrobe. I think there are some productions today that still do that. Are there are there small uh, storefronts? If their budget is really low, like you only have two hundred dollars, we have to go into their closet. Sure. Yeah, yeah, you and it also depends on what the show is. If, yeah. If it's contemporary and it's a person playing someone about right. their same age, and because yeah. you know that won't even cover the shoes. Two hundred. No. Two hundred dollars <laughs> won't I mean, even cover the shoes. Just think about it when you go out shopping. How much do you spend on your clothes? So you yeah, could, one complete yeah, outfit per yeah, person. You know yeah. that's a lot. So yeah. how do you manage that? Do you? Well, I don't do those shows anymore. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Good for you. But Good in the old days, you, you had to go into well, people's well, closets. Yeah, do you have a green that. shirt that matches? Yeah. yeah. So the costume designer still is designing the show. Uh-huh. They're putting it together, but they're just using the resources of the actor's personal stock. What's your philosophy about costume design? Do you think, like some people, 
believe that costumes in general should be seen and not, well, quote unquote, heard. How if noticeable should they be? Uh, I yeah, think is how what much did they stand? I, I, yeah. I realize, in, in a, again, in a period piece that or an absurd, over the top comedy or something that mm. the costumes yeah. might be making a larger statement. But in shows like To Catch a Fish mm-hmm. and East Texas Hot Links, which are very, very you know, realistic dramas, what's your what's they? your yeah. general yeah. philosophical approach to your design work? My take on uh, contemporary or modern design, it's it's not supposed to be show-offy. Yeah, <laughs> noticeable. It's supposed to tell the story. You're supposed to progress the story and indicate who the characters are. Well, I read somewhere, co- contemporary costume design is an invisible art. You're yeah. not supposed to notice that it's a costume. Mm-hmm. If it sh- looks like a costume, it fails. Mm. It's supposed to look like real clothes. So mm-hmm. when people say, oh, everything looks so real, that's a compliment. In a show like so that. So usually yeah. you don't get mentioned in in uh, reviews. Reviews. Because they think, oh, it's so natural that we're not going to comment on it. It's not going to... That really is the ultimate compliment in a way for that kind of show. My professor, James Burton Harris, he told us that in grad school. He said, for contemporary design, if they don't say anything about modern dress, it's good. Mm -hmm. He's just like saying, you know, this is... You're not going to get mentioned because you put this... Mm -hmm. And if you do get mentioned, it could be because something's off. It could be something off, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Frank, we need to talk about a couple of shows that we've seen together, or and shows that I, I've seen without yeah, you. Right. Let's start with the one we both saw, and okay. I don't know if you saw this or not, Christine. Have you seen The Music Man at the Goodman? No. Oh, okay. No. Well, let's talk about The Music Man. This okay. is Mary Zimmerman's take on the classic Meredith Wilson show. Tell me your impressions. Well, I have to start off by saying I don't really like Music Man as a show. There's a couple of beautiful songs in it, but there's a couple of just cringeworthy songs. The Shapoopy number should be struck from every... <laughs> it's just hideous. It was a relatively good production, but when you don't really like the show to begin with, it makes it kind of hard to like, oh my God, this is so great. I thought the performers were good. I really liked Harold Hill. The young woman playing Marion was okay. Choreography was quite good. I thought that was great. The sets were a little uninteresting. It took place in a gym a lot. On the whole, I think it was okay. Would I recommend it? I I would say if you like Music Man, you'll probably enjoy it. If you don't like Music Man, do not go. Well, unlike you, I love this show. (laughs) And I've always loved this show. I I agree with you. There are some clunkers that just have not survived the test of time, song-wise. I think we both agreed, however, we talked about this at intermission. We both had the same reaction. The show was kind of, and this is a metaphor, kind of beige. There there weren't a lot of ups and downs, even in the costumes, Christine. Everything was very kind of tan and And (laughs) off-white and beige. There wasn't a lot of pop of color. They were going with kind of a wood, earthy theme Mm -hmm. to like the scenery, too. And, I mean, for a musical, it should be splashy. Like that, it should be splashy and colorful, I think. Especially in the costumes, I think. Yeah, yeah, they needed you. (laughs) They needed you. They could have used you, Hey, Goodman, word of the wise, get Uh Christine next time. I should look up who did the costume design Um, so that we're not ignoring that person. They weren't memorable, but in a show like that, you can really 
think, I'm, if you agree, I think you could have some real fun with stuff because you're doing sort of a fantasy period piece. And so you could really kind of frill it up and make some of them kind of humorous and really have fun with it. And I don't think they did. I think they missed some of the fun that I they could have so. had with, with the set and the costumes. The costume design I, is by Anna Kuzmanik. Do you yes. know Anna? Yes, I do. Now, they were beautiful costumes, yeah. beautifully yeah, made. Yeah. I just think that the palette that the director was moving the entire production in, Mary Zimmerman, was a little, uh, yeah, beige. Because she always does things underwater, and she does all kinds of unusual things with, like, metamorphosis. And she always wanted to do, like, a straight musical. And I think she worked so hard to do just a musical without any of her special touches that it came out kind of nondescript. Mm-hmm. And so I think if she had Mary Zimmerman up it a, a little Mary Zimmerman it up a little bit, it probably <laughs> would have been better. It would have been better and I probably would have liked it better. Speaking of color palettes, something that you designed that mm-hmm. we saw and so so enjoyed from beginning to end and we loved everything about it was the total bent. There were some amazing, amazing looks in that show, and they all served the piece, and they all served the characters. Tell us about, first of all, Robert Cornelius's suits. They were fantastic. Were those made for him? I found them in the store in the west side. I found that that um, Jackie Taylor goes there for her costumes. Oh. Is this uh, like a resale shop? or um, No, it's a uh, new suit. New suits. But they would always give me $100 per suit. Oh, I would you go buy suits for $100? Wow. Yeah, I went there a lot, especially during uh, when I was doing shows at Congo. I was doing the August Wilson shows. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would go there all the time and then... You know, I would hem and haw at the price. <laughs> and then they, so they say, gave you a flat rate. Yeah, because I would buy five suits. So yeah. they're going to like, well, you have for $100 each. So there's a lot and of haggling. And they're nice suits. There are nice there's suits. a lot of haggling. But yes. you found these suits at a store on the west side of Chicago. Yes, yes. And you had them tailored for yes. for him. Did you do the tailoring yourself no. or did they have someone <laughs> to do that? No, no we, the, Haven is, is really good about providing uh, staff staff you. and parity of support across all areas. Costumers. So that's and why I like working for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if for sure. If you treat me right, I'm going to work for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's just it, you know. Yeah, makes yeah. sense. There was a costume piece as well in that show, which was a beautiful cape mm-hmm. that at one point gets draped over... Uh, Gilbert, was that the actor's name? Yes. It, during a performance that he's doing. Right. Uh, as, as he's a gospel this, or as He's a pop singer. His father's a gospel singer. Pop gospel singer. Yeah. singer. It gets draped over him, a la James Brown. James Brown, right. Where did that cape come from? What's the story um, with that? And do you still have it? Yeah, I still have it. It's in my apartment <laughs> on a dress floor. <laughs> in the stage directions, it, they were describing it as a... A punked out choir robe or preacher's robe. Usually, the when they have in stage direction, it's something that the previous um, production design, has done. Right? Yeah, I yeah. don't. Uh-huh. Sometimes I don't, I don't take it as gospel, like pun intended, to uh, <laughs> to do exactly as what they said in the text. Sure. So, me and Lillian would talk about what that would be, and and this is Lillian Brown, the yes, director. Mm-hmm. Yes, and uh, she told me that. During the show, they're going to do the James Brown bit. So I didn't want it to be with a preacher's robe. It goes over. The, it's more like a a choir uh, robe. Yeah, like yeah, yeah it goes like over a the poncho. poncho. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. but it needs to pay, be taken on and off quickly and swirl. And then 
I combined the preacher's robe with James Brown. Like I kind mm. of meshed it together. Yeah. And then we saw it, and we just liked the way it moved. The way Gilbert used it, he knew how to work the. He tape. sure did. So yeah. it was a co- collaboration between the director and me and the actor. Was it fun working with Lillianne? Oh yeah, yeah. She's a she's a bit of a genius, isn't she? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of directors, when you sit down to start a show, do you have some directors say like, "Here's costumes, do whatever you want." Do some say, like, you must do what I want you to do? Or how collaborative is it? Or does it depend on the director? It depends on the director. I have had directors do both of those things. And then there's some people in between. In between. Okay. Yeah. Something that I saw a couple of weeks ago that you were not able to come to, Frank, was the play True West. Oh, right. At Steppenwolf Steppenwolf Theater. With our pal John Michael Hill from Elementary Fame on CBS and also has been a guest on this program. Mm -hmm. This is a Sam Shepard play, and it's a play that sort of put Steppenwolf on the map many years ago. One of their early hits with Gary Sinise and John Malkovich. Mm -hmm. And it's often referred to as the signature type style of Steppenwolf, uh-huh. in your face, mm-hmm. gritty, uh-huh. make you sit back in your chair afraid of what might happen with the actors on stage, not knowing if it, if the violence is real or if it's going to escalate to yeah. a place where you're going to get spattered with blood or something. Right. This piece was directed by Randall Arney, who's also an ensemble member, mm-hmm. uh, starring Francis Guinan. John Michael Hill, Namir Smallwood, and Jacqueline Williams. I thought the play was quite well done. Uh, I had not seen True West in a very, very long time. Mm. John Michael Hill was terrific in the piece, as was Namir Smallwood. Fantastic. And he, those were the two brothers? They, the the two Mar- brothers, yeah. Okay. yeah. I, I didn't quite find it to be as in-your-face as I would have expected a Steppenwolf production to be. Weirdly... They've begun designing sets there that have a bit of a gulf between the front edge of the stage and where the action actually happens. And this was in the big theater. And this was in the big theater. I just kind of wanted it to be a little bit more in my lap. Yeah, I saw it in New York maybe 10 or 15 years ago at Roundabout, which is completely in the round, yes. so it was very close. And it was with John C. Riley and Philip Seymour Hoffman, and they switched roles every night. And it was wonderful, and it was pretty in your face, and they both came out and talked to people. We waited around, and they came out and took pictures and talked to people, and they were great. Did you feel the danger going oh, yeah. on? The, yeah, the, the, the absolutely. Pal- it was very, very much right up there with us. I tried to get into the play like that, that way, yeah. this way at Steppenwolf, and I just wasn't quite able to. There were moments during some of the physical violence where actually someone's head or foot would flop over the edge of where the wall is supposed to be. Yeah, <laughs> but pretty much they kept which, the fourth wall. Which it was very noticeable, and we were sitting right in the middle of the house. Uh, you uh-huh. know, I, I just thought that could have been a little bit better. That show probably works better in the round, maybe, just because it makes everybody Possibly. closer. Or three quarters, anyway. Or three quarters, yeah. Thrust yeah, something. It, yeah. It, could have been, yeah. it could have been a little bit more, as I said, again, in our laps, yeah. in our yeah. faces. Christine, I want to ask you to walk us through something. You've mentioned a lot of how the process goes, but I think there are 
people, even seasoned theater goers, who don't quite understand the process of the costume designer. Yeah. Can you walk us through the process from the start up until opening night of the job of the designer? I understand mm-hmm. that you just had a initial meeting today for your next project, right? Yesterday I had a first uh, rehearsal read-through, so I presented my designs. What's, what's happened before that, and then oh, what happens yeah. after the read-through? Take us that way. So before that, you read the play, and then you go through each of the characters. This Oslo is based on... Um, Oslo is the play you're yeah, working on. based yeah. on real-life people, but then in this uh, script... There were some characters we didn't want to exactly copy what they looked Nick like. Nick Bowling is directing? Yes, yes. For and Timeline. The, for theater. Timeline. Sorry and it, to keep and interrupting. And it's going to be at Broadway in Chicago. Fantastic, yeah. So even though they're real people who were six feet tall with blonde hair or whatever, you decided you may not want to do that exact yeah, thing. Yeah, and the way it's cast, too, we may not make them look exactly uh-huh. like... Are they well-known characters for people who don't know the play? Well, some are. Shimon Perez is one. Okay. The, the whole point of the play is how the, these secret peace talks were started just to... Because people, the um, both sides were not getting anywhere, and they all had like publicly had to stay on their uh, positions. But if we, they can talk just one on one without the without yeah. the Americans right. running in. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's a lot of talk about that. How sure, the Americans, sure. They wanted to have credit for all this. You yeah. Know. This play won the Tony Award when yes. it was in it New York. Yeah. yeah. So you get hired. And yes. then they give you the play, which you read, and then you look at each of the characters, either mm-hmm. they're realistic or not realistic. What's the next pro- then, step in your process? After that, I meet with the director a couple of times. Should you I gather meet, some ideas first yeah, before you do that? because I wanted to know what's his take on each character. And then the other important thing is who, the casting. I always want to know who's cast. Oh, yeah. Who are you going to dress? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, some people are like, well, did we haven't casting. I'm like, I can't really design it yet until I know who the actual person is. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I've had to design something and then you go into rehearsal like there's a casting change and you look at your design you're like okay that's terrible that's not gonna work for the red-headed <laughs> right right Short, you're like oh that's guy, different yeah. ingenue yeah, yeah i see a lot of stuff can be done paper on paper or digitally but until you get into the room Sometimes that's when the real designing starts. Yeah, and so that's what happened yesterday then. You were yeah. in the room and you saw them all and you heard them read. Yeah, you heard it read. And then me and Nick talked again about I noticed something in the script or he noticed something. And we bring it up to each other. Or you saw the actor do something that you think, ooh, I think this yeah, color or might how really this be. Lo- you know, how uh-huh. they, how, how I perceived them before until, but then I heard it out loud and by the actor who's playing them. Sometimes it changes your uh, perception. Do you then go back and do renderings and pick fabrics? You don't do renderings. I mean, I did renderings for the read-through, but changes like that, I I Mm. don't have time. (laughs) You just keep it up here. I just note it and go, okay, we're going to go a different direction. Or I just get uh, another research image. I also do collages or something like Pinterest Mm. just to give a range... Because sometimes the, the um, rendering can't tell everything, like what kind of shoes or what watch to get. And you have to be really specific, especially if you have an assistant or shopper, because they're going to be doing the shopping. I do a lot of my own shopping, but if you have to hand it off to someone, 
They have to know what you you want. Know exactly what yeah. you want. And they'll come back with the wrong sometimes thing. Sometimes I get like um, text messages with photos like, do you like this? Do you like And then you're like. They're at the store yeah, and they're, te- yeah, and they're yeah. taking pictures. Just yeah. if they don't know my taste yet or. Mm-hmm. Or there's things that, two things that are really close. Yeah. That could go what either way. What do you way. prefer? Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're thrifting because you can't return it. Oh, right. <laughs> right. Well, there's that, right. So then after you've done that, you've done the read-through, then mm-hmm. you... Start gathering start gathering, and, and then you have uh, fittings after you gather stuff. And, and some, the, do you have to make some things from scratch? In this show, no. Okay. But sometimes you have Sometimes you do. Like, you can't find it in real life. Like, oh, we're going to have to make it. Okay. Like, I thought I was going to do, for Total Ben, I thought I was going to get a ready-made cape and alter it. But I'm like, no, yeah, we got to make it. You can't. So you yeah. found the fabric you liked, yes. and then you made the cape out of I it. I swatched the fabric, and then I showed the director. And okay. It worked so beautifully it in did. the show. It there's did. no question that it was custom-made yeah. for yeah. that scene and for that actor, for sure. Absolutely. So... You're now out there shopping mm-hmm. or sourcing or, make, yeah. or making uh, the pieces. How often then do you return back to watch rehearsal and or consult with the director? Sometimes uh, directors will text you or uh, have a dream and tell you in the middle of the night. <laughs> I, love, I love that. I had I a dream. Feeling, yeah. okay, I well. had a dream. <laughs> or this came to me, you know. While watching the rehearsal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is great because then you don't want those notes to come up when it's intact. Yeah, I, ass- I assume you also maybe get texts or notes from the stage manager if something yeah, came up in rehearsal yeah. like, oh, so-and-so is going to need a pocket to hide the, the yeah, gun or right. something. Right, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we need to put this uh, uh, notebook in here. They're going to pull it out of their jacket. Does the jacket have a right inside pocket? You went with notebook. I went with gun. <laughs> yeah. Sure, yeah. It just shows the difference between these two. <laughs> yeah, right. I like yeah. the danger. The <laughs> right. danger. But yeah, but a pocket get, would be uh, important. Yeah. You, right. you yeah. get rehearsal reports too. Sure. But sometimes, if I have time, I like to watch the show. Besides the designer run, there is a designer run usually before tech. Mm. But sometimes you want to watch it before. Which is where all the designers are invited yeah, to come. Yeah, and they see the show on its feet. Right. Areas yeah. for the lighting designer to yeah. look at, things that are going to happen And you could pick set. up stuff where you yeah. would say, like, oh, I'm going to need a second shirt, a different shirt for this moment right. because of such and such. Right. Like, And again, if it, when it's on of. its feet, you see something different than when you yeah, just when, yeah. when it's a read-through. And it's still not too late to make some changes. No, so you not can, until opening night. Yeah, that's true. And <laughs> even that. Not until opening night. So then you get into tech. Technical rehearsals, which is where you put all of the elements of the Mm -hmm. play together. Mm -hmm. And hopefully the actors now have some semblance of how the play should go. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. you've got to concentrate on many other elements, like the costumes. And the set doesn't work. And this door should open in instead of out. And lighting cues and Mm -hmm. audio cues. Do you do a lot of changes during tech? Yes. Well, you have a costume plot and how thing, the order of things, but sometimes when you see the clothes on stage and you don't like how it looks against that wall or, uh, or if it's not flattering on the actor. you Or on stage it looks dumpy and it yeah, didn't off it stage. Yeah, it looked good because you have a distance. You don't see uh-huh, any and detail. And lighting coming from a different angle yeah. and stuff, yeah. Or the quick change is not going as planned. <laughs> so you have to uh, rig the costume, rig it, like some snaps Velcro or in Velcro, or <laughs> yeah. 
So tech, you you get a lot of notes uh, as you see it, trying to make it easier for the actor mm-hmm. and for the show to move smoothly. Sure. Or also moving where people get dressed backstage. And where the actors feel comfortable and feel like yeah. the character. Yeah. And then suddenly you're either in previews mm-hmm. for a couple of performances before a real live and audience. And then, again, you can still make a couple of tweaks. Oh, yeah, you can make tweaks until opening. And yeah. then opening night happens, and then, and then, then your job is done, and you're <laughs> on to the next show. Yes. Until right. something rips, and then it's up to wardrobe to fix yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> wardrobe will take care of that. Yeah. Or they can... A heavy sweater or something. person sweats a lot, they got to launder more often. Yeah, yeah. Christine, everyone who listens to this show on a regular basis knows that I have one absolutely deadly fear, and it's the fear of sharks. <laughs> That's insane. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, you, you keep saying that, but I think it's you a live healthy on land. fear. You live on frickin' land. Why are you know, afraid of sharks? I know. Every- because every other television show has like sharks in oh, it, that's and they, true. They, they scare the hell out of you. True. Uh, I did come across this story recently. A shark attack ended not in tragedy for a pro surfer in Florida, but with free drinks at the local bar. Oh, this. I'll see, this is Frank good. O'Rourke was surfing at Jacksonville Beach at, uh, one afternoon when he encountered a shark that latched onto his right elbow and knocked him off his board. Video shows O'Rourke struggling in the water before rushing across the beach with his board in tow. O'Rourke's friend, R.J. Berger, said it was kind of panic-like. Did that just happen? It took us a couple of seconds to, like, gather ourselves and realize, like, wow, he just got bit by a shark. And then we all went into the beach. O'Rourke suffered minor injuries in the attack and opted instead of seeking professional medical treatment to take advantage of his newfound star status at a beachside bar. Ah. <laughs> After receiving a bit of first aid from a lifeguard, he immediately went to a bar because it was like, I got bit by a shark. And people were like, I'll buy you drinks. Ah. <laughs> so he went and hung out at the pier. His friend Berger speculated that the shark that bit his friend was a three to four foot spinner shark or black tip. Mm. I believe those are prominent in Lake Michigan these days. Uh, yeah, in the I'm summertime. Sure they are. Yeah, they're yeah. all over. O'Rourke had a message for people who might be scared facing the overwhelmingly long odds of being attacked by a shark. If you're going out to surf, just know that there can be some harm out there. You can't be scared. Get out there and have fun. <laughs> yeah. See, now maybe you should go out and yeah. try to lure some sharks for the drinks. Yeah, that's... If that's, you get some free drinks, it'd be worth it. That's going to happen, Frank. <laughs> that's going to happen. <laughs> I hear that there's a way you can go to, I think it's the, somewhere in the Caribbean, where you get inside this really large cage oh, yeah. with like 10 other people, they 10 lower friends, you down. and you with a snorkel, and yeah. you can jump right into the cage in the midst of shark-infested waters and, and watch come the right sharks. Up to you. you should do that. That'll help you get rid of your fear. <laughs> It might feel like I had a friend who had an irrational fear of Lizzie Borden. Again, she's been dead for how many years? But everything about Lizzie Borden freaked her out. So she and her boyfriend at the time, you can stay overnight at Lizzie Borden's house. And so they booked a weekend there, and she got rid of that fear. She doesn't fear. She now likes Lizzie Borden. A fear of Lizzie Borden? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Christine, if you could have done anything else in your life other than choosing a life in the theater profession... What might that have been? Maybe work in a museum? Uh-oh. As a curator? Yeah. A, an art museum? Yeah. But more, more, not more art, but more like art, historical artifacts. artifacts. Like yeah. maybe the, like the Chicago History yeah. Museum here, yeah, like where, they have, where they have a replica of Booth One. 
Yeah. Of the actual booth. The line. actual yes. booth. Frank, have you heard about Faye Dunaway? I have heard of Faye Dunaway. Well, you've heard of Faye Dunaway, Christine, yes. of course. Well, Faye Dunaway was terminated from a play just recently. Oh. Uh, has been fired from the Broadway-bound Tea at Five, hmm. a one-woman show about Katherine Hepburn. Oh. Amid a uh, report of physical and verbal abuse of crew members during a recent run of the show oh, at Boston's oh. Huntington Theater. Oh, my God. The producers announced that they have terminated their relationship with Faye Dunaway. Plans are in development for the play to have its West End debut early next year, and a new actress will play the role of Katherine Hepburn. Mm. They should get uh, Kate Blanchett. Didn't she win an Oscar for mm. playing Katherine mm-hmm. Hepburn in Aviator, I think? so. In Aviator. Yeah, mm-hmm. so she'd be great. I mean, Faye Dunaway would have been good. Because she's an interesting actress, and people were like, oh my God, I want to go see Faye Dunaway, but not if she's punching people. <laughs> no. <laughs> Here's a bit of irony. In 1968, Dunaway famously lost her first chance at an Academy Award to Hepburn, who won for Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Ah. Dunaway, who had been nominated for Bonnie and Clyde mm-hmm. that year, won Best Actress nine years later for Network. Frank, one other show that I wanted to mention that I saw recently yeah. uh, was the uh, steep theater production of a show called Pomona mm. by Alistair McDowell, directed by Robin Witt. We just went to see this. Now, talk about in your face yeah, and talk about in your lap and talk about in your lap violence. Ooh. This Pomona... There's a lot of dark stuff going on. And really? There's some great violence on stage. Thank and they're as close to the audience as I am to you right now. Ah. And for those of you who can't see, that's about four feet. Yeah. We were in the front row. Oh, good for you. I love front rows. <laughs> there was a knife fight. I... There was a lot of punching and beating up. There was some cool so stuff going on. So this had the in-your-face quotient that this you This had wanted. the in-your-face quotient, and Steep Theater has become really, really known for that. Have you ever worked with Steep? No. Christine, no. would you like to? Yeah. Because I know yeah. people there. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. You like working with My blood packs? My people will call your Yeah. Right. <laughs> we enjoyed it very much. Good. That's good um, to know. It's quite an affecting piece. It's running for, I think, two more weeks. They extended uh-huh. it. Pomona at Steep Theater. If you have any desire to see a very, very moving and compelling piece of theater. That's one to go to. I wanted to talk about Northlight Theater. We've mentioned this before. We went to a Ward 4 committee meeting where they talked about two potential real estate developments in downtown Evanston, right here where we live. Mm -hmm. And the second presentation was done by our friend Tim Evans, and this is about Northlight Theater. It looks Mm -hmm. very, very much like Northlight is going to move next door, right outside our balcony. Wow. Yeah, they're raising money. No (laughs) Uber for me. And it's going to be a three-and-a-half-story building, Mm. and the top story is going to be glass-enclosed, and it's going to be their rehearsal space and it'll look right onto our balcony oh <laughs> so, nice we'll and be able more to importantly, watch that. you can look right onto them <laughs> yeah and then they can come over for cocktails after right, rehearsal right. Uh, and yeah. notes you and know notes. i'll have uh-huh. some notes for them for sure uh-huh. um 
uh, we'll have the designers over, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and we'll, we'll talk That's about good. it. I've liked a lot of the stuff I've seen at, at Northlight. They do a lot of Martin McDonough stuff there quite effectively, and uh, and I like their old space, but it wasn't theirs, I guess. They were kind of mm-hmm. renting it from the Scopey, Yeah, they've been, they've been renting at the North Shore mm-hmm. Center and for the be their own space for a long yeah. time, and it's very difficult. It. It's very difficult to get there if you don't have a car. Parking yeah. is parking is very easy once you're there, yeah. and their audience is like that very much. Except actors, designers, it's hard to get staff out there people. Which a lot you, of them don't you, have. You cars. have to yeah. have a car, and yeah. it's a bit of a schlep. With even Writers Theater people. in Glencoe, yeah. you, the Metro is right across the street. Mm-hmm. We've been talking about several theaters in the Chicago area. Christine, are there any particular theaters that you would love to work at that you haven't had the opportunity to just yet? Looking Glass. Mm. Looking Glass. Nice. Yeah. They do unusual things there, yeah. too, so you could really yeah. have some creative. Mm-hmm. What about a dream show or a musical yeah. or two here and there? No, Is now there that sh- I got my feet wet. Uh, now that you got your yeah. feet wet with Total Bent. But new ones. You'd like I mean, to do new shows, yeah. Not so. like a music man, but like no. a, a, a newly, yeah. Yeah. Now, would you do Something that? Something relevant to, to art. What if somebody said, we're doing My Fair Lady and we'd love to have I you? I mean, I'll do that, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's not your dream show. It's got pretty costumes. It does it. have pretty yeah. costumes. Yeah, there's yeah. A lot. I would like to do pretty costumes, too. Hmm. Yeah. What's your favorite kind of show to do? If you had like six different choices, let's say they came to you, and you chose it on the mm. base of the type of show. I like those where it's not a specific specific yeah. or straight period show. It like has it, to be 1932 yeah, or something. Yeah, like you can have some leeway with it. Uh-huh. A lot of freedom yeah. to, to design in that respect. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And sometimes uh, designers, they will take their own take on a period. Like Oslo, it's set in 1993, but I don't want to make it like actually 1993 because mm. some of that is kind of... Not looks doesn't look good. No, yeah, it's no. also a hard period to pick. I can't yeah, remember what people I, I are wearing. Yeah, because we're trying to comment like this is now too that we're we're so far apart. It's a very relevant yeah, piece. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Frank, remember when we had Mark Larson on the program? Yeah, I wasn't here, but um, I have listened to it. Yeah, he has finally finished, and it is now published. And you can hear it. Yeah. His book, Ensemble and Oral History of Chicago Theater. Wow. I have yet to really crack it open and read it from beginning to end, though you can skip around. It's divided into time periods. For instance, part one is 1953, which he marks as really the start of mm-hmm. the storefront theater movement in Chicago through 1971. And then he goes on to various other time periods. It looks like it's going to be an absolute marvelous read. And I wanted to just read a little bit from the foreword by Brad Hall and Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Oh, cool. Who who have Chicago roots and are included in this book as well. Ensemble told with the voices of Chicago's theater artists of today, yesterday, and tomorrow is a remarkable rumination on just that. The ensemble, the connections offstage and on among actors, writers, technicians, designers, directors, mentors, and audience are cleverly drawn 
long, it is no surprise to find that there is a great affection among members of a theater community. What is surprising is that in Chicago, these connections are so passionately felt that they have become the DNA of show after show, company after company. The joy in creative labor itself is derived from and simultaneously given over to the ensemble. The result is an entirely unique and precious thing, Chicago theater. Do you enjoy working with the same people over and over? Is that is that yeah, a there's rewarding a, experience? It is because there's a shorthand. You don't have to yeah. learn. You know, you just know. Um, yeah. Same with directors. You get each other. Well, yeah. and, and directors will ask for you. Right. Yeah. Right. right. For the same reason. Yeah. If you like what you hear and would like to support Booth One in bringing you the best in lively conversation about the arts and popular culture and amazing guests like Christine Pasquale, mm-hmm. you can go to our website at www.booth-one.com and click on the Donate button. It's easy, it's quick, and it's tax-deductible under our 501c3 status as a nonprofit entity. Yes, Kitty, you can donate too. <laughs> <laughs> While she bites me. Any and all contributions would be greatly appreciated. I appreciate you also holding the cat while we did that. She's been wandering up and down this table. Uh, I think I mentioned her early on. We adopted this cat a few months ago, and she's extremely social and very yeah. friendly. And, and wants to be on the action. Wants to be where the action is. She wants to be in the room where it happens. She, does. she definitely without, does. Without question. Right. Christine, we end our program with a segment which uh, I call I'll Be Seeing You, mm-hmm. uh, which is a reflection on someone in the well, possibly theater community, or arts of performing some sort, arts yeah. community. Could be just about anybody that we've just recently lost. And today we're going to talk about someone that I knew personally not all that well, but I oh. had a relationship with, Hal Prince. Oh, yeah. The great Harold Prince. He could turn anything into a musical. As a producer and director, Prince embraced unlikely sources to create some of Broadway's most enduring hits. A seedy nightclub in Weimar, Germany, became a metaphor for the rise of fascism in cabaret. Mm -hmm. That was in 1966. That was, I, I think that was probably his first directorial success. He had directed yeah. a few shows before that, but that was his very first. And I saw the original one. on Broadway. Jill Hayworth, I did. I went to New York when what, I was in college. What were you, like three? I was minus <laughs> 12. <laughs> no, but I did see it. I went to New York and I thought, well, I'll see this. Rock music provided the soundtrack to the life of Argentine First Lady Ava Perón in Evita. That was in 1978. I saw did that see too. Yeah, that original production. Did you? Victorian-era Penny Dreadfuls inspired the homicidal barber of Sweeney Todd. Also saw the original of that, that in 1979. I've seen, it. I've seen other productions, but not that one. Prince won a record 21 Tony Awards. Wow. 21. Wow. Talking about being single. 21 out. more than me. Including Best Direction of a Musical for The Phantom of the Opera, the longest-running show on Broadway. Mm -hmm. His boldness led to some equally epic flops. For instance, in 1982, he did a production of a show called A Doll's Life, Mm. which was a sequel to Henrik Ibsen's A Doll's House, which closed after five performances. Yeah. He also did Merrily We Roll Along with his longtime collaborator, Stephen Sondheim, which was also one of the great flops yeah, of all time. Yeah, and has, has had, had a life of its own since then. You've got to keep attempting something new, Prince said. You've got mm-hmm. to take risks in this mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm. 
He was born in Manhattan to wealthy parents for whom Saturday matinees in the theater with their children was a regular occurrence. Mm. At age eight, he was wowed by a production of Julius Caesar starring Orson Welles. That I did not see. (laughs) (laughs) And decided to pursue a Broadway career. After attending the University of Pennsylvania, Prince returned to New York City in 1948, hoping to make his way as a playwright. The legendary producer George Abbott took the youngster under his wing and gave him a job as an assistant stage manager on a show, uh, which is how Hal started his career, stage managing. I believe he moved up the line to be the stage manager for Wonderful Town, another George Abbott show. But not long after that, Prince co-produced his first musical in 1954, The Pajama Game. Oh, Talk about a charmed career. This yeah, guy really. this guy was multi-successful mm-hmm. well before he started directing plays. Pajama Game, Fiddler on the Roof, West Side Story. Yeah. These are all yeah. Hal Prince productions yeah. that he was producer on with his partner, his business partner. The Pajama Game about love and labor troubles at a pajama factory made on a shoestring budget. Sounds like something that uh, is yeah. a little storefronty. Sometimes people call it poor front. Poor front. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that. I would never call it that. I, I wouldn't, think. but I can see why they do call it that. The show was a smash, winning a Tony for Best Musical. Prince collaborated with a murderer's row of creative talents, including Bob Fosse, Leonard Bernstein, Andrew Lloyd Webber but his most frequent confederate was Stephen Sondheim. Together, they pioneered the concept musical in which the plot is organized around themes rather than a linear story. Their first concept musical was 1970's Company. Yeah. Did you see that? a great example of that. I saw the touring production with Elaine Stritch in L.A. That maybe 71 or 72. Yeah. Company, of course, was about the bittersweet exploration of marriage through the travails of a New York City bachelor. Late in his career, Prince lamented Broadway's increasing reliance on focus-grouped movie adaptations and pop music best of shows. Mm -hmm. He said, you can and should do what you want to do and bring the audience with you rather than have them lead you. It's art, for God's sake. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) I had the good fortune of working on the national tour of the Phantom of the Opera for four years as the production stage manager. Met Hal Prince just once during that. Mm -hmm. He came out to visit when we were somewhere on the East Coast, and where we were escapes me now, but it wasn't far from New York. Subsequent to my leaving that show, I called him up and asked if I could have a half hour of his time just to sit and chat about the future and his shows and just to kind of meet him. And he was gracious enough to grant me that. So I sat in his office for a little while and surrounded by all of those theater posters that we mentioned, plus many, many more. It was great. He was a generous man. I I understand that he was a bit of a taskmaster as a director because he knew what he wanted. Mm -hmm. He had a concept, Mm -hmm. he had an idea, and he knew what he wanted. He was very straightforward about it, including as a producer, but also extremely generous with his time and with his advice and with his mentoring. There are a number of stories of people who worked for Hal who 
owe their careers to him. Mm-hmm. And it's too bad we lost him. He passed away in Reykjavik, Iceland, on his way back from oh. his home in Switzerland, oh. uh, which he's had for years and years and years. It was his big getaway. And he was, was he 91? Yeah. Was he? Well, Christine, it's been an absolute pleasure oh, to yeah. have you on the show. You. You're delightful, you're talented, and we've loved your shows, all of them. And uh, hopefully Oslo will go very well. Yeah, next time you go see a show, look first at the staff and make sure she's the one who's doing the costumes. (laughs) If so, buy the tickets. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So visit www.booth-one.com for prior episodes and more information about our program for Booth One. And Christine Pasquale. This is Gary Zabinski. And Frank Taranjo. Saying so long and keep listening. Mm-hmm.